Hello, you're listening to So What, a podcast from Canadian Mennonite University. CMU is on Treaty 1 territory in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Jonas Cornelson, in Treaty 7, Calgary, Alberta. Welcome to September, and welcome to Season 3 of So What? It's great to be back with you. In the short history of this podcast, I've covered past events at CMU and talked with alumni, faculty, and others on why anything that goes on in this little slice of academia matters. This fall, I'm excited to present a series I'm calling Graduation. Might seem odd to do that when the academic year is just beginning. We all remember September, right? What it was like to be coming to campus, meeting old and new friends, trying to find the right books, and eating as much free pizza as you could find during orientation. But what about the first September that you didn't go back to school? Where did you find yourself? What were you doing? And how did that relate to what you had spent all those years studying? To get at this question, I've gone back to a staple CMU graduation event called With Gratitude. This is where a sample of the year's graduates get up on a stage and say something or play or sing something about what they've learned and what it means to them. So here's the plan for this podcast series. I'm going to introduce you to a CMU grad who spoke at this With Gratitude event. I'll play you their speech, or at least most of it, and then I'm going to talk to them right here in 2022 about what they've done since then. Delightfully simple, isn't it? Well, let's introduce our first speaker. Deanna Zanting graduated from CMU in 2013 with a BA in Peace and Conflict Transformation Studies. We called it PACTS for short. After that, Deanna graduated from CMU again with a Master's in Theology and now finds herself at the Toronto School of Theology working on a PhD. But Deanna is no stereotypical ivory tower academic, reading and thinking with no intrusions from the outside world. As far as I can tell, she just has so many questions from her experience in peacebuilding work, mainly focusing on indigenous and settler relationships in Canada, that she just can't stop reading, reflecting, and writing about them. I wanted to bring Deanna in at the start of this series, because her experiences connect with our previous podcast series, which was a four-part deep dive on reconciliation with CMU Indigenous Engagement Advisor Christy Anderson. The work of reconciliation is never complete, and as September ends with the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, I wanted to keep that on the front burner this month. We'll start with Deanna at graduation in spring of 2013. She opens her talk by musing on the deceptively hard question, what are you studying? Reach out to those you fear. Touch the heart of complexity. Imagine beyond what is seen and risk vulnerability one step at a time. These are the words of well-known peace builder, John Paul Lederach. And everywhere I go, they are words that seem to elude me in my faltering attempts to answer what on the surface appears to be a very simple question. What are you studying? Like most of my fellow students in this field, I usually answer peace and conflict transformation with a knowing grin that this will inevitably invoke a threefold response. First, either blank stares or intrigued awe, followed by the question, what is that? Which in time, after I've done my best to explain what I do indeed spend my time being shaped by, 
I inevitably face the question, so what are you going to do with that? I would like to suggest that this is the wrong question. I am grateful for my professors who have taught me to use my education to pursue beauty and wisdom and truth, and to allow these things to shape me. For I have discovered that who I am in turn reflects upon whatever it is I spend my time doing. A few weeks ago, what I was doing was folding letters and placing them into the front page of a journal being sent out to CMU supporters. And each time, I was met with the editor's opening words. Christians aren't born, they're made. And as I began to reflect on all the ways that this place and these people have made me, I discovered that it simultaneously answered the question of what are you studying? You see, all my classroom learning, my hands-on experiences, and hours spent with my nose in a book could be summarized to say that this place has shaped within me an active Christian peace-building imagination. So what is a Christian peace-building imagination and why does it matter? When I came to CMU, I came wrestling through many tough questions about the nature of our world after spending time in Latin America and with at-risk youth in Los Angeles. As young people let me into their stories of conflict and violence, what I came to see were systems and cycles that pulled disadvantaged people into violence only to be met with solutions that actually perpetuated brokenness in our world. As a Southern Ontario farm girl, I soon found my faith in crises that I could never have anticipated as the realities of, of racism, privilege, poverty, and injustice boldly confronted my beliefs about God and the church. You can imagine my surprise then to stumble on a Christian community that talks about justice as a restorative process, as a form of healing. And while this is what grabbed me in my intro PACS courses, what kept me there was that it soon taught me that this way of viewing the world extends far beyond the realm of justice, but is actually a way of seeing the world that breaks out of what appears to be narrow, short-sighted, and structurally determined ends. A way of viewing the world that looks at our brokenness, promises no conclusive solutions, and yet simultaneously dares to imagine our problems and our place in them differently. John Paul Lederach, in his book, The Moral Imagination, writes of this type of imagination as the capacity to imagine something rooted in the challenges of the real world, yet capable of giving birth to that which does not yet exist. Lederach paraphrases philosopher Bruno Bettelheim when he writes, violence is the behavior of someone incapable of imagining other solutions to the problem at hand. Walter Brueggemann, a renowned Old Testament theologian in his book, The Prophetic Imagination, suggests that the dominant consciousness leads people to despair about the power to move toward a new life, and that it is indeed the task of prophetic imagination and ministry to bring people to engage the promise of newness that is at work in our history with God. The Christian peace-building imagination, then, is some sort of hybrid combination of a moral, prophetic, and theopolitical imagination that dares to imagine new stories, different stories than the broken ones that seem to be stuck on repeat. Realizing I'm running the risk of sounding very idealistic, I would just like to say that these things, this act of imagination, takes very tangible form and tension in my own life and work as I engage the brokenness between, in Canada between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians. That is, as Lederach writes, at the heart of the on-the-ground realities where violent patterns have dominated our human affairs. Lastly, I would simply like to share with you a story. Uh, I just returned yesterday, actually, from four days in Montreal, where I was participating in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. 
a gathering that creates space to hear the truth of our nation's genocidal history through the experiences of Indian residential school survivors. And then begins to imagine ways that we might move toward healing and reconciliation in our deeply divided context. The first day of the commission, we gathered in a park for the TRC's opening ceremony and prayers. And as we gathered in a time of prayer to the Creator, I was taught a real lesson about what it means to love our enemies. As all of us, Indigenous or non, were invited to participate in sacred ceremonies that our nation and ancestors once tried to extinguish. More incredible yet was that there amidst the streets of Montreal, where church buildings have undergone a wave of secularism that has changed them into apartment buildings, bars, and hair salons, something beautiful and profoundly hopeful occurred. From our place in the circle, we were invited to throw cedar into the fire, and as a sign of our prayers rising up to the Creator, that He would be among us on our journey to reconciliation. Then suddenly, through the tall skyscrapers that Winnipeg can hardly fathom, in the heart of downtown Montreal, three eagles made their way into the city and appeared above us, circling overhead. In Mohawk culture, the eagle is considered to be a messenger sent by the Creator. And regardless of whether you believe this to be true or not, it was a holy space. Especially as an older Indigenous gentleman tapped me on the shoulder after the ceremony, saying, Did you see the eagles? Did you see the eagles? I think I probably nodded, smiling, stammering out a yes. You see, sometimes there are words that seem to elude me in my faltering attempts to answer what on the surface appears to be a very simple question. And if I could answer his again, I think I would say that I hope there are more opportunities in the future where we might, as two people, see many more eagles and tangibly experience the message of our Creator's reconciliation. The question is, of course, whether we can dare to imagine this ourselves. Thank you. So that was Deanna speaking in 2013. Now, I was lucky enough to be friends with Deanna when we overlapped as CMU students. But before we connected for this podcast episode, it had been years since we last talked. I was really wondering how these ideas continued to shape her work and her life. I'm going to start you off a little ways into our conversation as I asked Deanna how some of the quotations she used in her reflection continued to resonate. Yeah, you, you also talked about the capacity to imagine something rooted in the challenges of the world, but capable of, of giving birth to something that doesn't yet exist. This was a play on John Paul Lederach. Can you tell me about a time since then, since you went to CMU, where you where you had that struggle, that, that somewhat despair, and kind of how, how you got through that? I think I like kind of always daily live in that space, actually. Mm. Um, uh, I think you kind of have to, um, given the work that I do or the things that I am passionate about in terms of animating um, Indigenous justice, um, decolonization broadly, I think for both Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. Um, we have some very heavy uh, and at times daunting challenges that lay before us. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you see those things and you come to see them daily, you have to be grounded in how how these systems of like land domination, ecocide, genocide, still manifest in in our everyday living and in and in our systems. Um, you know, we like. In Canada, uh, or so-called Canada, we still have 
you know, more Indigenous children in care than we did at the height of the residential school system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this kind of challenge is, is, is daily. A good friend of mine always says, if we want to get to a different place, we, we can't keep doing the same things over again and hoping for a different result. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds straightforward, but actually when you think about how you know, some of these large systems operate, but also how we participate in operating them, it's sort of like, how do I become attuned, maybe even just at first in my own life, to the ways that I might be participating in them? And how do I find um, a new way to do something? Yeah, th- those who are listening to this as a podcast uh, can't see us, but but we're both white. What what have you thought about in terms of your own role or the role of other of other settler peoples in in actually dismantling these systems, if you will, even from the inside? Yeah, I think that's a profound question, Jonas, and I think it's one that um, is probably something I'm kind of using my PhD to explore in more detail in some ways. I think that a lot of the work that I did, probably through my undergrad as well as my master's. But like my master's in particularly had the honor of like speaking with elders and community members from an indigenous community that I've been in relationship with for more than a decade now. I think that that experience really helped me to see the magnitude of some of these systems. And I think the question of like land and and reparation, I guess for me, like a lot of those things have come back down to like, if I had to boil it all down, it is a question of land. And I think this is the thing that looms in Canadian politics. It's sort of this like elephant in the room. Um, We all live on stolen land. And if you want to take seriously that 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 theft stems actually, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission says that actually this stems from explicitly theological language um, in the doctrine of discovery mm-hmm. and other, other ideas like that. Um, and so I guess like as someone studying theology, uh, that, that, that's one thing that I think we're constantly still pushing back on. So I think if we want to talk about how to reform systems and structures, we have to also like look fundamentally at this question of land. I think there's been a lot of learning going on around the residential school system, and that's been really important. But what I think the TRC asks us to take even more seriously is that the residential school system was just one means among many mm. that ultimately was was about how to take over the land yeah. and how to remove people off of the land. I um, want to talk about something very related to that, this notion that we hear about land back, which I think yeah. can be um, can be a really a a big sticking point for, for those who have taken the land. How, how do you explain land back to a white person? Yeah, I think, like, first of all, I want people to know, I think the land back movement is, like, it's a beautiful movement. And, you know, like, I, I know it can sound challenging. I know it confronts on a number of levels, like, some of our most fundamentally held ideas. I think for me, like, questions of, like, land ownership, what we mean by ownership, um, I, I, I think those things have to be like drastically revisited. Mm-hmm. Again, I, to reference the work I did in my master's, um, listening to uh, elders talk, you know, like private, private property wasn't a thing. Uh, and I've gotten to spend time in spaces and places up north where it still isn't a thing. Um, and that is like, I think also, if you want to talk about how to birth um, a peace building imagination, um, that is also like a significant seed that was planted 
things don't have to stay the way that they are. Mm-hmm. I think that we get attached to things looking or, or remaining the same, but actually things don't. Uh, and so if we can clearly see that, you know, we continue to have a relationship to land that is literally ecocidal mm-hmm. uh, and genocidal, something has to shift. It's kind of bizarre to me that, you know, that that we're not willing to let go of those ideas when ironically, biblically speaking, even, there's there's nothing biblical about like private land ownership. If anything, the Bible talks about systems of like jubilee or a land return or, you know, like the Old Testament itself, the main character is the land. Mm-hmm. We don't read it like that. The prophet Jeremiah like spends chapters like crying out over the fact that this relationship between God and the people of the land and the land itself has been broken. And he says, you know, like when the people don't live in it in a good way, uh, the people, the people suffer like they're exiled, but Mm -hmm. the land suffers too, suffers desolation. He says, you know, but, but ultimately what Jeremiah is saying is that God suffers both of those things. Mm. I'm not even always sure like what I (laughs) think of with the phrase God anymore, Mm -hmm. but I, but I think what that witnesses to also is like the sacredness of, of this kind of relationship and the care that we ought to take in certainly um, like imagining a different way of relating. Mm -hmm. Um, but also the care that's needed on the ground in practical ways to go back to the previous conversation. Definitely. Like we have to stay attuned to the real challenges, but imagine a more life-giving way beyond it. Yeah. That Lederach quote or the, the way you reflect on it continued in the sense that violence fundamentally is rooted in the inability to imagine something else, to imagine alternatives yeah. to the way that we do things now. Hey, me again. I want to note that I meant to connect this quote about violence from Deanna's graduation talk directly to our society's inability to imagine anything other than our current system of land ownership. While we didn't get into the legal nuts and bolts of what land back looks like, it is critical that we think differently about who really owns what. I also popped in to assure you that yes, the interview does take a hopeful turn. The story Deanna told in 2013 about seeing eagles rise above the towers of Montreal at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission inspired me to ask whether her hope of seeing many more eagles had come to pass. Can you think of a moment where you've seen more eagles since that day? (laughs) Yeah, I can think of literal moments and I can think of metaphorical moments. Let's do a literal Um, one first. Okay, a literal one. Uh, you know, uh, so I spend most of most every July for the last like dozen years uh, in Michigan, First Nation. We're doing a lot more like land-based um, youth leadership stuff, and that's just been like a huge like joy in my life. Um, such a such a gift. Uh, but there was one summer. I think the last summer actually before COVID really shut shut a few things down. The the community uh, built like a healing launch uh, out on. It is attached, but it's more of like an island uh, in the summer months. And um, we just spent like three days out there with young people, and it was just a really rich time. And uh, I like threw out my back um, while we were there. And so all of my like co-directors are like helping load the like pontoon boat. Everyone else is like doing their thing. And this like kind young man that I've known (laughs) since he was like five 
is just literally standing there, like holding me up. And then like somebody else puts a life jacket on me. They like lay me down on the floor of the pontoon boat. Uh, like there's just all these like really bright smiley faces staring down at me. Somebody pops sunglasses on my eyes. And we like start this journey back to, to the mainland. And uh, like, you know, like you're in kind of a precarious position. Uh, I think I've been coming through a hard thing and like my, my, I can't move. My Are you back like hurts. literally this, lying on your back I'm, on the floor I'm of a boat? I'm literally lying on the back. Yeah. On this pontoon boat, right? Which is flat, flat floor. It, it's kind of a shaking boat and it like shook out my back kind of enough. But the reality is, is that I'm laying on the floor so I can only look up. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I see an eagle. So I like point it out. And the next thing you know, um, like we literally on this like 20 minute boat trip see like dozens of eagles like spiraling yeah. overhead like playing uh diving um and so we're just like out there this group of like indigenous and non-indigenous people who have just like spent time learning from each other and like i just think that kind of like energy like the eagle represents love right mm-hmm. and um yeah, I've never had a moment like that where I've been so surrounded uh, by that many literal eagles. But I think it also just kind of speaks to the spaces that, that we can create. Yeah. Um, Is that what the eagle means to you, kind of on that more metaphorical level? Just these these spaces of, of new beginnings and, and new relationships? Um, I think it has a lot of meanings to me. Um, I think one of them that probably also stands out, which, again, like, uh, this is probably things I've picked up sitting in the learning circle at Sandy Soto with um, people that are wiser than me. Uh, you know, like the eagle has this ability to rise high in the sky and see. Uh, I remember one time even an elder saying, you know, like they'll fly higher than the storm and look past it. And um, I think for me, uh, it's sort of like we're still in the storm of of colonization and, and we might be for a really long time yet uh but can we can can we at least rise high enough above things to imagine a different future mm-hmm. um because i think if we're if we're just fine with how systems are serving the status quo how they maybe are just serving white communities um you don't have to do that but i think i think uh if if you believe that maybe Christianity is more than that, uh, or that like maybe even not Christianity, maybe whatever your belief is, um, is more than that, then we, we have to find ways, not just individually to like look beyond the storm, but to do that collectively and to imagine um, a different future that's mm-hmm. marked by different relationships and new ways of understanding and respecting one another. My goodness, I could listen to Deanna talk for hours but this episode is already running a bit longer than what we usually do, so I'll get to wrapping it up here. Deanna's story of watching eagles from the floor of a pontoon boat is a small example, but I hope it encourages you to imagine the new kinds of relationships that are possible, perhaps especially in spaces where we are vulnerable, physically or otherwise. As Deanna said, we are still in the storm. Colonialism, rooted in bad theology, still dictates much of how our society works. However, Deanna's initial reflection at CMU grad, and my conversation with her about life since then, have reminded me that a peace-building imagination is more than just wishful thinking. 
It is an active search for new ways of being. Thanks again so much to Deanna for speaking with me, and thanks to you for listening in. I'd love to hear your comments on peace building, land back, and anything else. Get in touch on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash so what podcast. Next month, our graduation series continues. I'll be chatting with a CMU communications and media grad about the connections between filmmaking and the transcendent. Yes, it is ambitious. I hope you'll join us. Until then, my name is Jonas Cornelson. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.